You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. We are in a series called Unsettled, and we've been looking at the story of great men and women of faith who chose faith over fear. Uh, We've seen uh, several situations already where where people will be in unsettling times and they're not going to know exactly what to do and things look bleak and they look dark and then all of a sudden God's going to do something. I'm going to call it the but then God moment. If you remember the story of David when we started this off, right? there's a, a monster of a man named Goliath who comes and threatens to literally steal the promises of God. He wants to steal the people's land that God had provided for them. He wanted them to come under the the subjugation of another God. He wanted to steal the promises, but then God steps in. He does something incredible, and he takes a little shepherd boy. He puts him out one-on-one versus this monster, and he takes a sling and a stone, and he slays them. God provides, and the promises are maintained. We saw the story of Abraham and Isaac where God finally gives him the firstborn son. He finally gives him the son that he was promised. Isaac isn't just the son to Abraham. He's everything. He is the promise of God. All the generations of Abraham are going to come through this one man. And God says, I want you to put him on an altar. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. This seemingly barbaric thing. And so Abraham follows in faith. He puts the promise on the altar, but then God intervenes and provides a substitute. We see the same thing with Joseph. Joseph is sold by his family, his own brothers. He's sold into slavery for years. And it's dark, and it's it's a very unsettled situation. And and what happens to Joseph? He has a but-then-God moment where God is going to take him from literally the pit. He's going to take him literally from his jail cell and transform him into a political figure that's going to save not only the Egyptians, but even his own family, the very ones who put him there to begin with. But then God stepped in and did something. And so this morning, we're going to look at another but God then situation. We're going to look at another story that I think is the most unsettling story almost in all of Scripture. It's the penultimate story of unsettling. And it's the story of Moses when he's leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. If you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph has brought his family down to Egypt and they're living in harmony with the Egyptians, two cultures living together. But all of a sudden, a Pharaoh takes over who doesn't remember the works of Joseph. And he sees these, these Israelites and he sees how they're like little rabbits and they just, they're, they're, they're making babies and continuing to make babies. And then those babies are making more babies, not, not as babies, but like as they grow up, right, and the generations grow, right, the, the nations grow, the population numbers grow. Some scholars say it was upwards between one to two million people that were living in Egypt at the time when Moses brings them out to the promised land. One to two million people. They've lived in Egypt for four to 430 years. That's a long time. And for many of that, they were enslaved by these Egyptians. They were taken, their freedom was taken from them, even though it was their ancestor that provided for them in their time of need. Their freedom is now taken from them, and they're put in chains, and now they're forced into labor camps where they're now having to build the great empire of the Egyptians. 
And so as we come into our story today, what you have to realize is that all the while this is going on, God takes this man Moses, brings him back, and he's going to perform miracle after miracle after miracle to show the people of Israel his power and to show the Egyptians that those chains they put on the people of God are to remain no more and that they are to go free. And so God sends ten plagues on the Egyptians. And finally, Pharaoh's heart is softened. He says, okay, Israelites, go. I want you to leave. So today as we come into the story, understand that there's a little strut in their step. There's a little pride in their chest because they've been in captivity for hundreds of years. And now all of a sudden, they're taking their first step of freedom. They're experiencing for the first time in generations, they're experiencing freedom. So we're going to go stride for stride with these Israelites as they leave because that experience of joy and liberation is very short-lived. Turn, into your, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 8, says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The people of God have finally achieved a victory. They finally achieved a victory, right? They finally get their Independence Day. They finally have their July 4th moment. But all of a sudden, as they're leaving and experiencing the joy of this freedom, they look back and they see that the enemies of God, the ones who had enslaved them, are hot on their tail. They're endangered of slavery once again. And to start this sermon, what I want to start with is that God has a plan in the midst of the storm. God has a plan in the midst of the storm. God's desire for you, God's desire for those Israelites was to know him, and check this out, it's to experience his promises, to experience the reality of love, to experience the reality of justice, to experience the reality of a relationship where we as broken, flawed human beings can fully trust somebody who's greater than us, where we can fully trust someone who probably has all the right to have power over us. God's desire is for us to know him, but know when you step forward, when you, look, when you look at your past and you look at your situation and it's full of junk and it's full of stuff, we all have junk in our life. But understand that as we come to the desire where we want to know God more and we take that first step and we realize my life has put me in a spot where there's chains around my wrist, there's metaphorical chains that are holding me back that I'm in prison to, those addictions and those things that I've given myself to, they control the way that I think, they control the way that I function. When we start to realize that those things we control, when we give those to God, it's like we take a step and we experience liberation, we experience joy, we experience freedom, and we realize, you know what, I don't have to live in addiction anymore. I don't have to live in a state where I can do whatever I want and it's leading me nowhere. I can give myself to Jesus and you experience it and there's this joy that comes with it. But how many, time, how many of you know that when you take that first step, and you take that second step and that third step. Sometimes when you look back, you see that thing from your past hot on your tail. 
You see that addiction you left behind, and all of a sudden, you're in a situation where you're stressed out and you're full of anxiety, and you think, man, a beer would be good right now. Man, if I just had that joint, it would make things so much better. Man, if I could just find that girl and spend that night, or if I could just find that guy and feel that affection for a moment, then finally then, I'll just go back for a second. We see our past, and it creeps up on us, and how is it that we are supposed to deal with it? Because change has a funny way of affecting the mind. How many of you know that to be true? Anytime you're going through something in life and, and you're in a state where you're settled, whether it's dysfunctional or functional, right? Israel was in a settled state, but they was very dysfunctional. They had chains on their wrists and they were in forced labor camps, right? The, these people were in a settled state, just dysfunctional. But now God's putting them in a state where they're unsettled. Their normal is changing. Now God's trying to get them to a new normal. He's trying to get them to think in a different way. And that in-between process of being Settled dysfunctionally to unsettled to where God is taking us to his promises where we're settled again. That unsettled state of change can do funny things to our minds. We were talking to a social worker and she was describing for us relationships that happen between abusive couples. And she said, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think because common sense thinks in the opposite direction. But you have these, these people, whether they're women or men, that are in an abusive relationship, whether physically or verbally, and they finally have the courage to say, you know what, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to leave and I'm going to come over here. I'm going to take that first step. I'm going to take that first step toward liberty, towards freedom. But oftentimes what they see is that the person who's been abused goes back time and time and time again, sometimes as much as seven times back to the one who was abusing them. Why? Because their normal has been upset. Their life that they've known for so long, they can't, it's hard for them to deal with the changes. It's hard for them to deal with not being around that person because that person was their normal. No matter how dysfunctional, no matter how crazy, no matter how weird it got. And so even in the worst relationships, you see this time and time again. People go back to the very thing that was holding them in bondage to begin with. Change has a funny way of getting in to our mind. Look what the Israelites do. They're, they're running away from these Egyptians and they come to the Red Sea. Behind them is the enemies of God who's seeking to enslave and kill them. In front of them now is this giant ocean, right? A giant ocean that's preventing them from getting to the promises of God. And listen what they say to Moses. They just saw the ten plagues. They just saw God do some of the most incredible things in human history. This is what they say. They're freaking out. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt, that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. These people are just set free. And already they see the storm that's starting to form around them. And they freak out. And they say, you know what? My bondage wasn't so bad. I want to go back to where things were at least normal. Because I'm not comfortable with this new normal. Right? Think about it like this. Last night's storm. <laughs> you hear Rodney say, comfort is the enemy of progress. Last night, we had an incredible storm. Amen? Right? Like, it was awe-inspiring. It was terrifying. It was magnificent. Right? It was, it was just powerful. 
And my family and I were sitting out. We were out at, uh, you know, the church just up the road here, Assemblies of God. We're waiting for the fireworks show, but we see this huge storm coming in. So we're like, all right, let's go back to the house. So we go back to our house, uh, which is the center of town, and we sit on the front porch, and we kind of wait for this storm to come in, and we're seeing the lightning, right? We're seeing it off in the horizon. And all of a sudden, how many of you guys heard this? The sirens kick on. Okay, I'm not going to do that because it's annoying enough in reality, okay? But you hear the sirens come on. I was sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, all the Westby women, right? we got a lot of family in town. All the Westby women are like, well, time to go to the basement. And they grab all the kids, and they move to the basement, right? In the middle of this storm, the first thing we look for is we look for comfort. All the women are in the basement with the kids, and all the men are outside, and they're like, hey, man. I wonder if there's going to be a tornado or something. You know, like walk, I walk down the street and I'm like looking at, you know, and all the, it's so funny. It was all the men on my block were outside their house just standing there just being like, what's going on? You know, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> it says a lot about men, right? No, uh, it's great. But, but that's, in the middle of a storm, what do we want to do? We want to retreat to that place that's comfortable for us. We want to retreat to the thing that we know will not endanger us. Why? Because we don't like change and we don't like the storms. Look at Israel's position. This is, for any leader and for any person, I think this is one of the most unsettling, the, it's like the ultimate unsettling situation for us, right? I mean, imagine this. You, are, you, you just got your freedom. Now you, you're facing this ocean and, and you have the enemies of God behind you who want to enslave you and even kill you. There's this ocean that if you go forward at all, it's going to, it's going to destroy you. It will not let you through. You have wilderness on either side, so you literally have nowhere to go. You can't even run away. And it says that darkness came and it covered the land. It said that there was, at nighttime befell them, right? They didn't even have the security of the sun. And it also says that there was a wind that came and it blew, and God was using this wind to push back the waves of the ocean. So imagine being this person. It's dark outside. There's a storm that's happening on the ocean that's threatening your life. And there's Egyptians that are behind you. And the only thing standing between you and them is a pillar of fire that God has put up. A God that you hardly even know. A God that you're saying, why did he even bring us here in the first place? That's a cool pillar of fire, but there's darkness all around me. But then God. There was no way of escape, but then God came on the scene, and he's going to do something incredible. Look at how Moses responds to the people. Exodus 14, 13 through 14. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. Let's look at that again. The Lord will fight for you, and all you have is only to be silent. Put it in the, in the vernacular of the, the beloved farmers. Shut up and watch. That's what God's saying to his people. Just close your mouth, open your eyes, and watch what I'm going to do for you. God fights for you. You and I need to know that in the storms that we're in right now, we have a God that's not just next to you. That's a great message to hear, that God is with you, that he's in you, that he's next to you, that he's carrying you. But the message I think we need to hear today is that God is actually fighting for you. 
One commentator says this, what we're going to see in the next section of, of scriptures is that God isn't fighting through the Israelites. He's not saying, go fight the Egyptians and then I'm going to fight through you. What God is doing is he's actually fighting for them. He's not fighting through them. God is fighting on their behalf. He's the one who's outwaging the wars with the enemies of God. He's the one that's pushing the wind against the ocean that's terrifying the people of God. He's the one that's holding back the enemies of God. And he's going to be the one that makes a way for the people of God to experience the promises of God. Exodus 14, 21 through 31. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw them into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Israel had their backs against the wall. They had the bullies up front. They had the Egyptians who enslaved them out front. It was dark, there was a storm, all around them they saw death, but then God steps in and does something incredible. But then God steps in and he begins to push back the waves so as to create two walls, and he says, follow me through this path. And the people get in line behind and they follow on dry ground between two walls of water that were once before preventing them from achieving and seeing and experiencing God and his promises. You know what God was doing with that storm? Think about it for a moment. God was fighting for them, but he was building a fortress around them. What they saw as death, God used to fortify. What they saw as the thing that was going to destroy them, now God has done a miracle work in, and that's now the walls that are going to protect them. And so they're going to walk through, and they're going to see the walls of water on their left side, and they're going to see the wall on the right side of this ocean that was meant to be their death, and it was meant to be their de de demise. It was meant to prevent them from achieving and seeing and experiencing the promises of God. They're now walking through it. God makes a way when there is no way. How do you look at the storm that you're in right now? When your life becomes unsettled and you're uncomfortable, do you see this as a time where you are fearful, where you feel like you're in the middle of a field and there's a storm all around you and there's nothing that can protect you and you look at God and you say, you know what, the things in my past, they weren't so bad. 
I'm going to go back there because there I can at least find some sort of comfort. God, why do you have me here? Why am I here right now? And if that's you, if you're in that spot, what you need to know is that God is fighting for you. And he's fortifying around you so as to protect you. Romans 8.35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you need to realize is that when you're in a state of change, when you're in a state of being uncomfortable, when you're unsettled, what you need to hold on to is not the reality of what you feel or what you're experiencing. You need to hold on to the truth of the gospel that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that can pluck you from his hands and that he has you in those moments. And it may feel like there's a storm all the way around you, but that might just be God fortifying you because in a little bit he's going to provide a way. Amen? Amen. So my question to you as we close, what is it that you fear? In these moments, what is it that you fear? Is it those things that are external to you? Is it those things that are beyond your control? Is it the things of your past that you feel creeping back in, trying to lure you and entice you? Is it the storms that, that rage overhead and the situations that are beyond your control? Are you afraid of that storm? Because what we see in the scriptures, it says, do not fear. Why? Be silent and know that God fights for you. So what is it that we should fear? This is where the story turns for the worst. Israel sees the greatest miracle. They see the enemies of God destroyed by two walls of water that they literally just walk through. Those walls are going to collapse in, destroy the enemies of God, and they're going to celebrate. It's like party central, right? When you get to the other side, imagine. You just got freedom. It's not been, they, they tried taking it back, taking you back into captivity. You've seen God destroy them. The kind of, I, I would be jacked up, man. I would be celebrating, and that's what they do. They go to the other side, and they start, they break into song, and they sing the praises of God, and they're like, man, Lord, we believe in you. We trust you. Like, you are powerful beyond belief. This is the greatest miracle a human being could ever witness. Literally. I can't think of one better. I can't think of one greater than this. And yet, and yet, these very people, within months, within months, they're going to turn back. And they're going to again complain, man, things were better in Egypt. We're wandering in this wilderness. They come, they come to the promise of God, the land that he's promised them. He says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bring you into this freedom. And you're going to experience what it means to live in community. You're going to experience what it means to have me in your presence and what it means to be fulfilled. You're going to experience all that. They come to the land and they see a few measly giants. And they're like, we can't take this. We can't, we can't take the promises of God. There's no way we can beat that. They saw an ocean separate from them. And yet because of unbelief, not one person in this story that we read about, not even Moses himself, will enter into the promise that God had for them. 
Not one person. Hebrews 3.19 is talking about this story, this very moment. And he says this, so we see that they were unable, the people of Israel were unable to enter because of unbelief. You know what unbelief is? It comes from the Greek word apostia. And it means an unwillingness to commit oneself to another. It's a lack of commitment to a relationship. It's to refuse to put one's or reliance in something or someone. We think of the word belief and we're like, we think of like a set of doctrines. If I just adhere to the new life set of doctrines, I believe those. If I just say and state the Apostles' Creed, or I sing the right hymns or the right songs, then I believe. And the reality is that's not what's meant by Scripture. That's a part of it. But belief is this deep, intimate, relational term. I think about my own life and how I'm married to my wife. And I think, look, when I said I do, I know I'm going to stay with her to the end of my life. Why? Because I believe in it. I believe in marriage. I believe in myself. I believe in my wife. But most importantly, I believe in Christ. And if that's what he has for me, then I'm going to hold on to that promise no matter what. I'm going to hold on to that belief no matter what. It doesn't matter what storm comes. Why? Because there's an anchor in that storm that I can hold on to. And just because it looks like a storm on the outside, it doesn't mean that God's not going to open the ocean that separates me from his promises. What is it that you fear? I think the thing you and I need to watch the most is not always what happens on the news. It's not always what you see on social media. It's our own heart. The author and pastor, Anthony Salvaggio, says this about the the Israelites. He says, the Egyptians weren't their greatest enemy. The greater enemy was themselves. Israel's struggles were far from over. They were about to battle with their own self-love and the human desire for autonomy. They refused to accept God's new normal. They refused to accept the change that God had them in. When you give yourself to Jesus, expect change to happen. It's a guarantee. You're going to experience change. How are you going to deal with it? What if God has you in a settled time right now, not to push you back to things of old, but to show you a way forward that's going to open up doors you never could have imagined? And if it was so easy for people who witnessed the greatest miracle on earth to slip away in unbelief, what about you and me? What would it take to capture your heart and to capture my heart What would it take? It it must be an event that's so profound and so deep and so meaningful that that when it hits our brain, it's, it's, it's like it will automatically transform us. What kind of event would do it? Let's talk about the the greatest miracle in Scripture. The greatest unsettling situation that human history has ever produced, and that's Jesus on the cross. Think about Jesus' situation. He's hanging on a cross with nails in his, his wrists and a nail in his feet. He has the enemies of God. Those who hated him, those who enslaved him, those who wanted to kill him in front of him. 
It says that darkness covered the face of the land. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about the sins of Micah. He's thinking about the sins of humanity. It's like he's standing on the edge of an ocean. He's standing at a beachhead looking into this vast ocean that's separating humanity from God. And he knows the only way to make a path through it is not by human beings doing their best. It's not by living a good life. It can only happen when God himself comes, stands at the front of the ocean, and then dives headfirst into my sin. Jesus jumps into the ocean of our sin, and there he dies. But then God. But then God does something to shake the fabric and foundation of human history. The ground begins to shake. The door of the tomb rolls away, and God himself breathes life back into the Son of Man, and he gets up from his death. He gets up from the ocean of my sin, and it's as if in that moment, my sin, my brokenness, my ocean was split in half, and that man who did it for me is now standing at the center saying, Micah, follow me. You want to experience what it means to know God and his promises. Look into your ocean and see that those waves have been split apart. And all you have to do is follow him. Jesus is calling you today. If you do not know him, he's calling you with a simple call. Follow me. Believe in me. Give your life to me. Enter into this dynamic, powerful, meaningful, intimate relationship. And then you can engage in the promises that I have for you. Will you follow him this morning? If you're a believer, check your heart for unbelief. In my life, am I believing God with everything? Am I giving myself to that relationship? Am I coming to him day after day, not saying, God, look at me, but saying, God, I need you in this moment. I need your spirit to do work in my heart because if it doesn't, I hear my past. I hear my past behind me. Jesus, I need you in this moment. If you're in a storm today, I want to say, will you run to the Father? Will you surrender to Jesus? I'm going to be out here following the service. I'd love to talk to you if you don't know Jesus or, or maybe you've walked away and you need to come back. Like this, I want to talk with you through that. This, this celebration we're doing with Independence Day, this can be your day. This can be your moment where you look into your ocean of sin and you say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to follow you. He split the seas for you. Will you walk through this morning? Jesus. We worship you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that all we have to do is come to you in repentance. We have to repent of our sin. And you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So Jesus, in this moment, we worship you. I pray for people, if they don't know you this morning, if they've been fighting with you, Lord, if they're, if they're like in Israel and they're in the midst of their storm and they're saying, you know, the things of the past, they're not so bad. Father, would you help them to be silent and know that you are fighting for them? Lord, would you open their eyes to the ocean 
that you split so that they could follow you, so that they could know you and experience the promises you have for them. Lord, fill us with hope this morning. Fill us with your life. Fill us with that story of your death and your resurrection. God, we need it every day. We need it every week. We need it every moment. Jesus, we surrender to you. God, I surrender to you this morning. Would you take my life and the storms that I walk through, and will you help me believe? Will you help me hold on to that truth and the reality of who you are? Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.